bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Speaking of holy, it's Holy Week. Yeah. Hi, I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here. If you're new, brace yourself. Um, but we're definitely glad you decided to join us on the night that we're having a family meal together. Um, we are wrapping up um, not only Lent, but our series through Lent called Killing Sin. Bless the Lord, Resurrection Sunday is coming, and my family's getting back on digital devices. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to come running out of that grave. Um, we've been doing uh, Killing Sin simply because we want to remind ourselves that Friday is coming. It is good because in that moment, Jesus condemned sin in the flesh by sending his one and only sinless son of God to kill the consequences of sin for those of us who are in Christ so that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. And so we're excited about that. We're excited about the fact that we get to celebrate. We have been called and invited and invested into this risk-taking, disciple-making, chain-breaking adventure called the mission and message of Jesus where we engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime, with anybody. And as captivating and breathtaking as that sounds, I know that there are some of you who are just not into it. That, yeah, Jesus died, rose again, and oh, yeah, he's returning. But let's just pump the brakes on all this Jesus talk, right? I, I got bills to pay. I got work to do. I got relationships that I need to secure for my future. And at this point, a lot of you who know me well may expect me to go high challenge and beat you over the head with the Bible and say things like, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and let the light of Christ shine on you. <laughs> Can I say, in the spirit of confession, sometimes that's me too. You ever just want to stay in bed? <laughs> Worse, you ever want to get back into bed? <laughs> that's when you know it's a bad day. Have you ever been in a place where your comfort is so comfortable, where your bed is so soft it's sinful? And you just want to get back in, put them up over your head, and find a nice hole to hide in. I, I don't know about you, but when I get really, really lazy, that's where I want to be. I, I, even if I come out of hiding, I'm going to take my lazy bones to my lazy boy, and then I'm going to spin my lazy Susan called recommended videos for you. <laughs> and I'm going to tune in, tune out, chill out, and zone out. But I don't know about you, sometimes this dangerous discipline that comes with the call of discipleship some days is just that difficult. And I don't want to discipline my flesh so that I can live according to the spirit. I just want to give over to what the flesh desires. And sometimes the flesh is just lazy. You guys been there? I have. And Jesus has a story that he wants to tell us tonight. Last week we looked at the Minosaur. This time I want to take a different story. Jesus was a master storyteller, and he's going to tell a story about a lazy boy. Spoiler alert, he's got some harsh words coming. So if you're in a season of laziness, just, just kind of go like this. Tighten your abs, because it's going to come. Or you can leave, but you're probably too lazy to do so. So that's, that's too, too soon? Sorry. I promise, truckloads of compassion coming from here. 
Let me make a distinction before we jump into this. One, uh, laziness does not equal rest. Uh, In creation, God established the rhythms of rest and work. And when we do both, we reflect his image. And both are considered acts of worship. So when I say laziness, I'm not talking about rest. And especially for you workaholics, you feel guilty every time that you rest and you think you're lazy. The second thing I would say is let's exegete ourselves before we exegete the text. You're welcome, seminary words. Um, What I mean by that is let's just dig a little bit deeper in us so that we can dig a little bit deeper into the meaning of the text that Jesus is going to give us tonight. Let me talk, let me go first. When I'm lazy, what's really going on inside of me? I'll I'll speak for me. Here's what happens. Laziness is usually cover fire for me because I'm usually either exhausted, I'm afraid, or I'm just bored. Here's where exhaustion comes from. When I have not embraced the healthy rhythms of Sabbath keeping and rest taking, taking care of my soul, making sure that I'm not constantly working, not becoming a Christian atheist who believes as if God exists and then works as if it's all up to me. I've got an executive pastor who I report to who has this quote on his whiteboard. It takes a lazy person to be a workaholic because you're the most undisciplined person that ever was. It takes a true believer to rest and trust that God's at work even when you're resting. And so I use laziness to mask the fact that I'm exhausted. Or sometimes I'm just afraid. Fear of failure, fear of the future, or how about this one? Fear that the demands of me today are just frivolous and meaningless. And I really just don't feel like honoring the commitment and responsibilities that I've been entrusted with. And at the core of that is the lie that I believe that I'm not enough, I don't have enough, and I will never be enough. And I don't take that to Jesus. So there's exhaustion, there's fear. This one's ugly. Sometimes I'm just bored. You ever just bored? That's just like, ugh, I don't feel like doing anything today. I don't know about you, but here's what boredom really is at its core for me. It's pain avoidance. I, I, I don't want pain. I want to numb myself out with inconsequential things that have little significance to me or anyone else and just take my mind off the fact that I've got probably pain in my past or pain in my present. I'm choosing not to confront it this moment. And so even though the call of discipleship is going off like an alarm, I just keep hitting the snooze button on obedience. And then I wonder why I'm so apathetic and why my half-hearted attempts to follow Christ are met with half hearted results and I get bored at the end of the day boredom is just a pain avoidance strategy here's the complication with that when you adopt pain avoidance as a life strategy you therefore negate yourself from any sense of significance you have no purpose because purpose comes from passion and passion comes from embracing pain so that's what laziness masks in me so we're clear so let's talk about lazy boy all right Here's Lazy Boy's story. We're in Matthew chapter 15, and I'll start, uh, or excuse me, chapter 25, and it's, some of you know it as the parable of the talents. I'm going to read it out of the message translation, because it does just such a wonderful job of capturing some interpretive nuances from the text. Let me pray for us as you're turning there. Holy Spirit. 
Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? Literally, would you be present in the room with the preaching of your word? And together we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Sorry, I don't have this one in big print yet. <laughs> uh, story about investment. It's also, this is the kingdom of God, it's also like a man going off on an extended trip. He called his servant together and delegated responsibilities. Ooh, responsibilities. I'm so lazy. I don't want any. To one he gave $5,000, to another $2,000, to a third $1,000, depending on their abilities. This is where my daughter raises up a fist in the air and says, Dad, that's not fair. You're right, it's not, but it's love, and love is stronger than fair. Then he left. Right off, the first servant went to work and doubled his master's investment. Second did the same, but the man with a single thousand dug a hole and carefully buried his master's money. After a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. The one he had given $5,000 showed him how he had doubled his invested. He commended him and said, good work, you did your job well. For those of you who grew up in King James Version traditions, what does this say? Excellent, I hear you. <laughs> From now on, be my partner. The servant with 2,000 who showed him when he doubled his master's investment, he commended him. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Good work, you did your job well. Come now on, be my partner. The servant, given 1,000, didn't want to show him what had happened, so he just hurried up and started blustering. I'm adding that part. Master, I, I know you have high standards and you hate careless ways and that you demand the best and make no allowances for errors, and I was afraid I might disappoint you. So I found a good hiding place, and I secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. The master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live that cautiously. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done was invest it with the sum with the bankers where at least I could have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most and get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb. Throw him out into utter darkness. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say mercy, Lord. The word of the Lord. Yikes. I love parables. I love the stories Jesus told. And this one's no exception. There are luxurious layers of meaning in this one. For the sake of our time together tonight, to make a way for us to come to the table. There's just one part of this text that I really want us to carefully consider. And that is this. How long was the master gone for? In your mind right now, assign a numerical time to how long you think he was gone for. A couple weeks? A couple months? A couple years? couple decades now let's 
put ourselves in the third servant's shoes. Because he was lazy, do you think maybe part of that was fear or boredom or exhaustion? Do you think after the master is gone for a long, long, long time, do you think some of that fear led into anxiety and nervously every day he went to the place where he buried him? I'm not that lazy. Are you coming, Ryan? Are we good? Cheers. Do you think every day he anxiously checked it out to make sure it was safe and secure? Like the longer that he was gone, do you think the more anxious he became? Do you think some of that time and energy, making sure it was safe and sound and secure, could have been spent actually investing in it? Or do you think this, the master was gone so long that he just thought, he's not really coming back. Maybe it was a young man when he got designated this money and he just thought, did that really happen? Maybe I just made that up in my head. Oh, yeah, that was that thing I did back when I was a kid, but I've forgotten about that. I've got other stuff I need to worry about now. Here's the question. Was this guy actually a really, really hard worker? He just wasn't working on what the master told him to work on. Let me just go ahead and bury this. That's safe and sound. Now let me get on with my life because i got other things to do. He's not around, so technically he's not my master. So I'm just going to play it safe just in case he comes back, but I doubt he ever will. And the master's response to him, it's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? I don't know about you. When I get to heaven, I don't want Jesus to look me in the eyes and say that. How did you invest what I invested in you? His body and his blood beckon us tonight. And he has invested his life and his spirit, his salvation, his sanctification, his freedom in and through you. And my question is, what have you done with it? Is it safe and sound somewhere buried? Are you actively risk-taking, investing it into the kingdom of God regardless of cost, consequence, or return on your investment. I got it, Chris. That's great. But how about I ask the question that everyone else in this room is afraid to ask? Jesus has been gone a long time. Didn't his original disciples think he would return in their own lifetime? Wasn't Paul convinced Jesus was going to return? How long ago has that been now, Chris? 2,000 years. Put this in your theological pipe and smoke it later. (laughs) Abraham was called out and set apart to be a blessing to every family, tribe, tongue, and nation on planet Earth. And God promised he would do that. Do you know how long it took between Abraham's first call and the appearance of Jesus the Messiah, the fulfillment of that? Take a wild guess. 2,000 years. We're literally probably about 1,980 years since the ascension of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming again. And our master's been gone after a long absence. And some of us have taken our faith and buried it in the ground. And he's going to ask, what did you do with the faith and the life and the breaths that I gave you? And I want him to hear I want to hear him say, good job. 
you invested it. It wasn't pretty or it wasn't perfect. But I know. We're exhausted. We're tired. We're fearful. And perhaps just a little bit bored. But I invite you to come to the table nonetheless tonight. If you're exhausted, come you all who are weary and heavy laden. And Jesus will give you rest. If you're fearful, be reminded that perfect love casts out all fear. And if you're bored simply because you've adopted a lifestyle of pain avoidance, I want to remind you that God works together all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And even what Satan intended for evil, he can transform it to good. So you don't have to be bored. You can face the fear that you've been trying to hide from. And all of us do this simply because Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, he picked up his cross and he did the work and he invested his life the way that God called him to do so. So tonight when we come to the table, let's rest in the work of Christ so that we can find strength to do the works of Christ. Amen. I'm going to have my beloved bride come up and she will... Prepare the table for us by reading through our liturgy to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the elements. Audrey, we'll hear you gladly. From whom no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Let us pray together. Most, Most merciful, merciful God, God we confess that, that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. On the night he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had given thanks to you, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And he said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you 
and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. And so therefore we proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. In just a minute, we'll invite you guys to come to the table. Um, the reason we use the word Eucharist is it's a, don't leave me. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to our marriage. Um, Back to what I was talking about. It's a Greek word that means thanksgiving or grace, and we just want to come to the table with thankful hearts. We're going to have our other servers come forward at this time, and then we'll also have stations um, in the back right there and right there um, if it gets a little bit crowded up front. Um, we practice what we call open communion, which simply means this. If you love Jesus and you're following him, and you meant the words of those confession, you're welcome to our open table. Um, if you're not yet a Christ follower or just curious spiritually or considering the claims of Christ, hot dog, I'm so glad you're here. If you want to have a conversation, I'd love to talk to you about why we take this family meal and what the significance of it is. When we come to the table, we like to come forward and we like to lock eyes with people. Take your time. There's no rush. We think there's something pretty special about when you walk forward and you receive the elements. And so when you come forward, um, We'll do this. I'll have Matt Morris. Where are you? Are you coming, buddy? No, he's gone. So Audrey will have the bread, and she'll say the bread of life or the body of Christ. Hang on to your wafer. He'll dip it, and I'll say the cup of salvation or the blood of Christ. And what we say when we receive communion is, I will love and I will be love. The reason we do that is because, hey, I'm talking. That's so loud. I'm just kidding. No, it was loud, seriously. Um, do you want to do the rest of this? No. It's a rearticulation of our covenant vows is I'll love the Lord Jesus Christ with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I will love my neighbor as ourselves, that we're in covenant with Christ. And so that's saying, I'm receiving your love, and I'm going to offer your love. So that's what we do when you line up. We'll put those words on the screen just so you have something to remind yourself. But as you receive it, please say, I will love, and I will be loved. In just a second, I'm going to ask the bleachers to come first, and um, Matt's going to lead us. And so those of us who are on the ground, you get to sing over them as they come to take the Lord's Supper. And then as they're finished up, we'll let you guys come. Does that sound good? All right. You guys can come as you're ready. 